Good evening and welcome again. We've got a lot of people that are traveling this week. I know that it's been a holiday weekend. We pray, especially for those who are on the road, we hope and pray that they will have a safe return. Those of you who are here tonight, thank you for coming back. And I want to just say, I was thinking just a moment ago, 2022 is just a week away. Look around, and maybe not just tonight, but Wednesday night and Sunday night. There are people that may become Sunday morning only. Reach out to somebody over the next few weeks. Encourage them to come back and be with us on Sunday night. To come back and be with us on Wednesday night. Listen, I want you to know how much I appreciate those of you who are here regularly. I know that the elders are grateful to those of you that are here regularly and they are thankful that you desire to be here to worship God, to learn more about His Word, and to praise Him. And so encourage those around you, those that maybe could be here that are not here. We will do everything that we can to make 2022 a great year. Tonight we're going to be looking at our final study in great chapters of the Bible. And so in Revelation chapter 21, in one sense of the word, the curtain's coming down on life itself. And we are privileged to gain insight into the next realm of existence, that being eternity, our eternal destiny. So tonight we look at Revelation chapter 21. Next week, the Lord willing, we begin a study Characters in Scripture. As I said this morning, we're going to begin with God the Father. We're going to look at the Godhead. A lot of great truths concerning the Godhead. So we'll look at God the Father, Jesus the Son, the Holy Spirit. And then from that, we'll launch out into some of the great characters of both the Old and New Testaments. And so I invite you, encourage you to take one of the sheets, be studying along with us as we look from week to week at some of these great characters in Scripture. Some were great saints, good people, and then there were others that we might say not so good, but we can learn from them, and so we hope and pray that we'll all be a part of that study. I want to begin by asking this question tonight. Where do you think you will live in eternity? That ought to be a question that we all ask. Where will, I, where will I live in eternity? Do you remember when Jesus stood before Pontius Pilate? And Pilate, of course, was about to deliver Jesus up to be crucified. So he asked those who were assembled around him during that trial scene, What then shall I do with Jesus who is called the Christ? That is the question of the ages. Every single person has to ultimately decide what he or she will do with the Christ. You have to make that decision. That decision will impact your eternal destiny. When Pilate asked that crowd of people 2,000 years ago, what then shall I do with Jesus who is called the Christ? That is a personal question. A question that personally each and every one of us will have to grapple with. Secondly, it is a profound question. Because of the magnitude, the weight behind it, your eternal destiny hangs in the balance 
with regard to your decision. Now you can be receptive to the Lord Jesus Christ, the overtures of Scripture, or the flip side, you have this right. You can reject the Lord. That decision is a decision that each and every one of us have to answer in life. And there are many people in the world today, sadly, who have never even considered their eternal destiny. So, let's look at Revelation chapter 21. In one sense of the word, the curtain is pulled back. And God provides us with a glimpse into that heavenly city, the New Jerusalem. And then the other side of the coin, we have a glimpse into that eternal realm known as hell. So we have to be fair in our understanding of this subject because I think that a lot needs to be said with regard to the destinies that lie before us. On the one hand, there's the hope of heaven. On the other hand, there is the horrors of hell. I want to get the bad part out of the way first. And so I want to begin by talking about that eternal destiny, that eternal realm that is spoken of in Scripture as hell. So on the one hand, you have sinners who will live in eternity in Gehenna, the hell of fire. And then there are saints, God's people, who will live forevermore in that heavenly city. So let's begin by talking about, first and foremost, hell. And I want to begin by maybe spending some time in talking about the reality of hell. The subject of hell has, in many respects, fallen on what we might call hard times, hasn't it? You know, there are a lot of folks, and I get it. They would, they would rather not be reminded about this place, spoken of in Scripture, called hell. Many of us would rather think about the positive. And I understand that as well as you. But there are two sides to the coin that we're looking at tonight. On one side, this beautiful place identified as heaven. On the other side of the coin, there's this place that is spoken of as hell. So what about the reality of hell? There have been pulpits all across our nation, and yes, even around the world that have been silent on the subject of hell. But Jesus had more to say about the subject than any other person in the New Testament, which says to us, this is a serious subject, something that we need to consider very carefully. So what about the description afforded us in the Bible regarding hell? There are a number of images that are used by the Lord to convey to us the horrors of hell. For example, in Matthew chapter 25, Jesus said that He will say to some, cast the unprofitable servant into 
outer darkness. And he said, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And then, of course, in Mark chapter 9, Jesus there talked about hell. And he said, it is a place where the fire is not quenched and the worm dies not. It is a place that is pictured as eternal death. It is an abode where people live but never die. They die but never live. The imagery alone that is set forth in Scripture ought to cause all of us to step back and say, you know what, I do not want to live forever in this place called hell. In Revelation chapter 21, note if you would in verse 8, John said, But the cowardly, unbelieving, abominable, murderers, fornicators, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. So now, an expansion of what we're talking about. Hell is described as a lake of fire, brimstone. Do you remember back in Genesis chapters 18 and 19, when God destroyed the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah? And He rained upon those cities brimstone and fire, brimstone often associated with, with lightning, which produces what we might call a sulfurous odor. Imagine living in eternity in a suffocating, noxious, nauseating place. How many of you have ever had the flu? I'm talking about the kind of flu that puts you in bed. Every fiber of your being aches to its core. You ever felt like that? The last time that I had what I thought to be the flu, I hurt so bad, as many of you have, and here I am curled up in bed, and I don't even want to open my eyes, and I got to thinking about, if this is anything like the hell of fire, I do not want to go there. You cannot begin to imagine the horrors of this place called hell. As Jesus said, the worm dies not. The fire is not quenched. Once people step out into eternity, time is no more. Back in Revelation chapter 20, now, there are many pictures that help to convey to us what hell is like. But the duration of hell. John said in Revelation chapter 20 that they will be tormented day and night. Now listen to this. Forever and ever. We, often th we oftentimes talk about things that will ultimately come to an end. It's one thing to be sick and to be hurting and to be in bed. And our body is racked with pain. And we're crying out for help. It's another thing to be in this place called hell. No relief. None whatsoever. I want you to think about something for a minute. 
Paul teaches the resurrection of the body, doesn't he? And in Revelation chapter 21, verse 4, there are some things that will accompany the righteous into heaven. That is, it will be a place that is free from death, free from sorrow and crying and pain. The body will be incorruptible. It will be immortal. But what about the body of the unrighteous? the ungodly. There's nothing in Scripture that says that body will be free from pain and misery and heartache and sorrow. You remember what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 25? There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Have you ever hurt so badly in life that you gritted your teeth? Some of us have. The pain is just overwhelming. You can't begin to understand the magnitude of hell. That's the hell people need to see in Scripture. So, this description of hell, the duration of hell, the reality of this abode. Now, I know that there are a lot of people who say, well, you know, I just don't believe in hell. There's an old saying, God said it, and people will oftentimes say, well, God said it, I believe it, that settles it. Listen, whether you believe it or not does not change the truth of Almighty God. God said it, that settles it. Paul said, let God be true and every man a liar. It doesn't matter whether we believe it or not, it's true. And that's the hell that we ought to avoid. So the reality of hell, and then number two, the reason why some people will live in hell. What's the reason? The reason is simply the problem of sin. Sin's the problem. And if sin is in your life, and the blood of Jesus is not covering your sins, when you step out into eternity, you're going to be in a place identified by Jesus in Luke 16 as a place of torment. You will live forevermore in a place where the worm dies not, the fire is not quenched. It is a place spoken of by John as a lake of fire, a lake that burns with fire and brimstone. The suffering will be unimaginable. The problem of sin passage we read a moment ago, Revelation chapter 21, verse 8. A motley crew. Listen again to what John said. The cowardly. John is writing to Christians. Some of God's people in the first century had been martyred for the cause of Christ. You remember Jesus said in His survey of the seven churches of Asia, they were to be faithful unto death. The promise being He would give them the crown of life. Would it have been possible in the first century to have bowed under the pressures of the Roman government, to have capitulated in the faith, compromised, and said, I don't know the Lord, sure. Remember what Jesus said, we're not to fear Him who's able to destroy the body, but afterward cannot destroy the soul. But He said, let me tell you who you need to fear. You need to fear the one that has the power, the ability to destroy both soul and body, listen to him, in hell, Gehenna, the hell of fire. 
but cowardly. In our country today, efforts have been underway for some time to, in one way or another, minimize the influence of Christianity. We live in an anti-God world. And there are a lot of folks in our world today, there are a lot of lawmakers in Washington, they have no respect for the Word of God. They have no interest in the God of heaven. They want to appease everybody. Well, it might be the case that we too might bow under the pressures of the world. And John here is saying, look, if you bow to the pressures of the world, you need to understand you're going to lose your soul. The unbelieving, the cowardly, the unbelieving? Are there people in our world today who have rejected God, God the Creator? Absolutely. What was it the psalmist said? The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. You look around in the world today, there is evidence of, well, there's an, there is evidence for a Creator, isn't there? David said, the heavens declare the glory of God, the firmament shows His handiwork. There are some who don't believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. They'll do so at the expense of their eternal soul. Jesus said, except you believe that I am, that is the eternal self-existent one, He said, you will die in your sins. And if you die in your sins where I am, there you cannot come. The cowardly, the unbelieving, the abominable, those who engage in licentiousness, who are living for the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes, murderers. Murder rates in this part of our nation on the rise. People don't have respect for human life. They don't care about the sanctity of life. And then he speaks about those who are fornicators. Those who engage in unlawful sexual relations. The Hebrew writer said, let the marriage bed be undefiled. But fornicators and adulterers, listen to this, God will judge. That is, those who engage in that kind of behavior will be lost. Sorcerers, the occult. People today are fascinated by the occult. Do you remember Simon? Acts chapter 8, Simon the sorcerer. There are folks today, they're all into witchcraft and the occult, idolaters. It might be the case in America that we don't bow down to idols that have been made out of stone or silver or some other type of product. We can bow at the shrine of materialism, money, selfishness, those are things that will prohibit us from entering that heavenly city. And then listen to this, and all liars, not just some liars, no, John said all liars. Sometimes people say, well, you know, I just fudged the truth a little bit. Or I told a little white lie. Listen, in the Bible, there is no distinction there. And what John is saying is, if you engage in telling falsehoods, you need to understand, you will lose your soul forevermore. That's a sobering thought, isn't it? 
the problem of sin, what about the penalty for sin? Well, Paul said the wages of sin is death. The only way that we can escape spiritual death is obey the gospel. The remedy for sin is the blood of Jesus, isn't it? Wasn't it John who said in Revelation chapter 1, verse 5, Unto him who loved us and washed us from our sins by his own blood. If you go back to Exodus chapter 12, the Passover, you remember they had to put the blood in the appointed places stipulated by God if they wanted, that is, those particular households, if they wanted their firstborn to live. When God swept through the land, the destroying angel, when he came through the land on that night, he said, if I see the blood, what would he do? He said, I'll pass over. However, if the blood was not on the appointed place, what happened? The firstborn died. If you don't obey the gospel of Jesus Christ, then you are not a part of the church of the firstborn. That is, you don't belong to God. And you don't enjoy the benefits and the blessings of the blood of Jesus. And if you don't have the blood of Jesus in your life, then you're lost without hope. And the Hebrew writer said to the General Assembly, Church of the Firstborn, who are registered in heaven, if you haven't obeyed the gospel, your name is not in the Lamb's book of life. Listen, you don't have any hope. Paul talked about people who are without hope and without God in this world. Stand before God one day. As I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow, every tongue shall confess to God. What are people going to say who've lived in immorality and idolatry, who have rejected time and again the gospel of Jesus? What kind of case can they plead? Can you plead ignorance? Look, it is imperative that we make the right decision about Jesus in our lives that our souls are purified by the precious blood of Christ. He's the answer. And without Him, we are hopelessly lost. Tonight, if you're not a member of the body of Christ, if you haven't obeyed the gospel, I encourage you. Maybe you have not obeyed the gospel because of pressure from your family members. Maybe it's because of some other reason, the world, the people that you work with, whatever. Please don't let anything stand in your way of obeying the gospel of Christ. I can't begin to imagine the horror of stepping out into eternity and reflecting upon the fact that time and again I had the opportunity to obey the gospel. I heard the purity of the gospel and I said no. Or I lived an unfaithful life I knew God wanted me to be faithful, but I gave in, caved in to the pressures of the world, and now I'm lost forevermore. You don't want that. And the Bible says God would have all men to be saved, come to the knowledge of the truth. There's one mediator. There's one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. You need Jesus in your life. He's the answer to sin. He's the only answer. So on the one hand, we have what the Bible talks about regarding this destination known as hell. Flip side, the destination described by John as heaven. I want to go to heaven, don't you? 
I want to be with God and His people. Just as John gives us a glimpse into the horrors associated with hell, he pictures for us this beautiful place called heaven. So what about a glimpse into heaven? I want to begin as we contemplate John's glimpse into the heavenly city by first of all saying that we have the promise of heaven. Listen to what John said. John, an inspired apostle, he said, I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven, the first earth had passed away and there was no more sea. In 2 Peter chapter 3, Peter talks about the second coming of Jesus when he said, the Lord comes as a thief in the night. The heavens will pass away with a great noise. The elements will melt with fervent heat. The earth and the works therein, he said, will be burned up. In verse 13 of chapter 3, he said, Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for a new heaven and a new earth. That's what John's talking about here. He said, I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven, from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband, heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men. He will dwell with them, and, be, and they shall be His people. And God Himself will be with them and be their God. Drop down, look at verse 5. He who sat on the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And He said to me, Write, listen to this, For these words are true and faithful. What God has said about this heavenly city is true. Do you remember Jesus in the shadow of the cross? In His discussion with the apostles, He said, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in Me. In My Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, He said, I would have told you. But I go to prepare a place for you. That's what we're reading about right here. So there are promises in Scripture that relate, that relate to us this beautiful city. New Jerusalem. So what about the picture of heaven? Think for just a moment or two about some of the most scenic places you have visited in this world. Haven't you been places and you've just been struck with awe because of the majestic beauty? There are some places in this world that are just breathtaking, aren't they? You can go out west, you can see the Rockies, you can go out further west, you can see the big redwoods in California. There are just so many spectacular places to see the handiwork of God. John uses accommodative language to help us better see this heavenly place called, well, this heavenly place called the New Jerusalem. Listen to him in verse 10. He said he was carried away in the Spirit to a great and high mountain. He said he was shown the great city, the holy Jerusalem, descending out of heaven from God, having the glory of God, and her light was like the most precious stone, like a jasper stone, clear as crystal. In verse 16, he talks about, well, verses 15 and 16, he talks about the dimensions of this heavenly city. The point I think John is making is there will be room to accommodate all the saved. Go all the way back to the period of the patriarchs and you've got people from every dispensation in time 
all dwelling together in this beautiful place called heaven. And note, if you would, what John says down in verse 22. Well, in verse 21, he said, The street of the city was pure gold, like transparent glass. He said, I saw no temple in it, for the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. The city had no need of the sun or the moon to shine in it, for the glory of God illuminated it, and the Lamb is its light. And the nations of those who are saved shall walk in the light, and the kings of the earth shall bring their glory and honor into it. Its gates shall not be shut at all by day. There shall be no night there, and they shall bring the glory and the honor of the nations into it. So here is this picturesque view of the heavenly city. So we have a glimpse into the heavenly city, and then what about the glory of the heavenly city? The Bible tells us we're going to be in the presence of God, aren't we? I mean, can you imagine being in the presence of God the Father, Jesus the Son, and the Holy Spirit? God said in Revelation chapter 21, listen to Him again, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men. He'll dwell with them, and they shall be His people. And God Himself will be with them and be their God. Not only will we, will we be in the presence of Almighty God, but we will be in the presence of people that we have loved from days gone by. We'll be with God's people, won't we? You know, when I was a young fellow growing up in Chattanooga, one of the things that I loved about this time of year, we would always go to my aunt's house. And all my dad's people, we'd all get together and we would enjoy the holiday. For a long time, when my grandfather was alive, we'd go to my grandparents' home. When he died, we began going to my aunt's home. So every year about this time, I start thinking about just reflecting back on all the time that we spent together on Christmas Eve. All my dad's people are gone now. There's no one left. My dad is the last surviving sibling. No aunts, no uncles, no more grandparents. They're all gone. We couldn't get together even if we wanted to. And I think about life. And I think about how quickly life gets by. There have been a lot of people that I've known, as you have, People that I have loved with every being in my body. I mean, love them. And I can't see them anymore. I can't talk to them. I can't send them a text. They're gone. But I know this. There are people on that distant shore that one day I'll be with again. And you'll be with them. People sometimes ask, will we know one another in heaven? Absolutely. Do you remember in Genesis chapter 25, verse 8, when the Bible talks about Abraham dying? And the Bible says he was gathered to his people. Who's Moses talking about there? 
Sarah had died many years earlier. Don't you think that Abraham went to be with Sarah? And don't you think as a faithful child of God, when your loved ones in Christ die, don't you think that you can go and be with them one day? And I mean, to have the opportunity to be in the presence of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and David and all the great prophets of God, to be there with John the Apostle and James and Paul. I mean, all these great people. And listen, to be there with people that you have loved, that you had the opportunity to eat with and to share time with, to laugh with, to spend vacations with. Look, there's something to be said about being in Christ. Listen to what John said, Blessed are the dead which die in the Lord. Yes, says the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors and their works follow them. I hope that you're on the road right now that will lead you home, home to heaven. So what about the guarantee? There are guarantees. There are some guarantees that have to do with this eternal abode. Number one, imagine being in a place, listen, where there will be no more suffering. What a relief. No more suffering. Here's what John said, verse 4. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death, no sorrow, no crying. There shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. I look forward to being in a land where I will no longer suffer. What about you? I don't want to say goodbye to people that I've loved. But if I live, if I continue to live, then that's going to be a reality, isn't it? I don't know how many people we lost this past year as a congregation. I know it was more than we would like. have no idea how many funerals I conducted over the past year, but I know there were a lot of them. Death is a reality. And to make preparation to spend eternity. can't really spend time in eternity because time is no more. But to live in eternity forevermore. The guarantee. Rock solid. Paul said that we live in hope of eternal life. Which God who cannot lie promised before the world began. Let me tell you one other thing very quickly. Not only will there be no more suffering, there will be no more sin, there will be no more Satan. Those who have rejected the overtures of Scripture, who have lived for themselves, they're going to be separated from the godly. Look again at Revelation chapter 21. Drop down, look at verse 27. There shall, be, there shall by no means enter it anything that defiles or causes an abomination or a lie, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. You remember what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 25? He'd say to those on the left hand, Depart from me, you cursed into everlasting fire. Listen to him. Prepared for the devil and his angels. There is a place that God has designed. And God means business. And one day God will cast Satan and his angels into this place of everlasting fire. 
And sadly, those who are not in Christ, that's where they'll be. We don't have to put up with any more temptation, no more trials, no more tribulations. Listen, no more dealing with Satan and sin. Don't you want to go to heaven? As we close out this year, the hope of heaven, to think that there's something that awaits us far better than anything this world has to offer. Are you a Christian tonight? Have you obeyed the gospel? I know we have people here who are not in Christ. I want to encourage you, please obey the gospel tonight. Don't let this year pass without obeying the gospel. I told you about the time that I was meeting with a father and his daughter. Daughter was a Christian, the father wasn't. About this time of year, actually a little bit earlier in the month. As we sat in my office talking about the gospel, this girl's daddy, here's what he said. After the first of the year, he said, I'll be ready to sit down and study the Bible. And this young girl turned to her dad and she said, if you would obey the gospel, that would be the best Christmas present you could ever give me. He obeyed the gospel. Do you know that man did not live to see the next year? Killed in an automobile accident before January 1. What if he hadn't obeyed the gospel? He'd have been lost. He obeyed the gospel two weeks, about two weeks before he died. Don't let that happen to you. Don't die outside of Christ. You can't afford to. You can't afford to die if you're not in Christ or if you're not faithful to Christ. What would you need to do? Well, you've got to believe Jesus is the Son of God. Repent of your sins, confess His name, and then be buried with Him in baptism. Rise to walk in newness of life, and then as a child of God, to live a steadfast life in Christ, to be faithful, and then when the end comes, guess what? God will own you and crown you. You'll get the Stephanos, the victor's crown. Tonight, if we can encourage you, if you're here tonight and you're not faithful to His cause, why not? allow us to pray with you and for you. Thank you so much for your kind attention. If you need to respond, please do so tonight before it's too late.